Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to finish out this chapter this morning. As you're finding your place there, I want to welcome those who are joining us via our live stream each week. So many who join us, we sometimes get to hear from you and we're so grateful that you can join us in that way. Also, the venue service down the hall and Reach Church DeSoto, again, welcome and good morning. Glad you're here. Just a quick update. Last week um, in our baptism services, uh, churchwide, we saw 52 people publicly confess Christ in the ordinance of baptism. I wish I had an opportunity to share with you the stories of so many of those individuals, but it's always amazing to me. We kind of step out in faith, and we do that every year, trying to remove every obstacle that would prevent somebody from publicly confessing Christ. To me, the fun stories are those who give their life to Christ that day and then get baptized, uh, but I, uh, just, just equally as special are those who uh, know Christ but have never had an opportunity to publicly confess him. And uh, to be able to rejoice with those people is, is so much fun. And I do want to remind you, some of you have emailed us asking us questions about baptism. Uh, you, you know this, we, we have the baptistry ready every week, all right? So even if you showed up on a Sunday morning and God was working in your heart, we try to keep everything that you might possibly need. So the fact of the matter, we call it spontaneous baptism, but... That can be any Sunday. It can be any Saturday night. If you come, God's working your heart. We want to help you walk in obedience to his word. Well, this morning, 1 Samuel 3, as we pick back up, you'll remember chapter 3, it's a, it's a dark day in the nation's history. The word of the Lord is rare, uh, that God has gone silent, an act of judgment upon this nation and its leadership. God has turned off the spigot. Eli and his sons have rebelled against God. They've despised the sacrifices of God. They're using and abusing God's people and their religious devotion for their own personal benefit. It, it's a bad day. They are dining at the table of consequence. But in the midst of that darkness, you'll remember uh, the lamp of God has not gone out because there's one boy there, Samuel, who is dedicated to God and he is faithful. He is serving the Lord. He's not on a career track. He has no plans for greatness. He's simply serving and faithful where God has placed him. And God interrupts the faithfulness of Samuel's life and breaks the silence. And he speaks into Samuel's life. But you'll remember as we studied last time, Samuel has not yet heard the word of the Lord in this way. He doesn't recognize it as the Lord's voice. He initially thinks that it's Eli that's calling him. So you kind of have this back and forth. Eli, Eli I'm here. Well, you called me. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Uh, Eli, I'm here. You called me. Uh, Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. But on the third occasion, Eli begins to understand what? It's God that's calling Samuel. There's a passing of the torch here. God is telling Eli, you're you're fired in essence, and now God will bypass this man who has not been faithful, and he'll begin to speak uh, to Samuel, and Samuel will then speak on behalf of God to the nation. But uh, Eli does not begrudge what God is doing, and so Eli tells Samuel, 
God speaks to you again. If God calls, here's to be your response. You say to him, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so here is uh, Samuel, gone back to bed. Can you imagine? I'm sure he was not sleeping at this moment, probably anticipating and hopeful for another call and anticipating what God might say to him. And then we, we pick up in verse 10. But before we look there, two things I want us to continue to see. We'll see this over and over again throughout the book of Samuel. You've heard me say it already so many times. But God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That, that Samuel is demonstrating to us that the way to greatness in God's kingdom is through humility and service. And so there's a group right here, Eli and his sons, they're proud in their rebellion and their arrogance towards God. They have rebelled and God's patience has worn thin. Listen to me this morning. If you're walking in pride and arrogance, rebelling against God and against his word, your sin will find you out. God opposes the proud. But to this young little boy who is humble in his faithful service to God, God will give grace. God's going to raise him up in a big way. But the second principle that I want us to see is not just that we see in Samuel the way to greatness, um, but we see the way to be a spokesman for God. That Samuel, in many ways, is going to inaugurate the prophetic office. We know uh, Moses to be a spokesman for God, but, but Samuel, in so many ways, will kind of inaugurate this um, national uh, voice of God to the people. Uh, he will inaugurate the prophetic role. In fact, Peter and Paul, both in the book of Acts and the author of Hebrews, will often say, Samuel and the prophets. That Samuel inaugurates this, this role, and we'll see men come after him like uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and there will be these men that God will raise up and God will speak into their lives and they are to speak only that which God has spoken to them. You remember the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.1 said that God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways has spoken to us in these last days in his son. So Samuel kind of inaugurates this prophetic role that will be fulfilled ultimately in Christ, but it also anticipates you and me that we have the Word of God. We have the Word of God in the 66 books of this Bible, and our job is to stand in the gap in a prophetic sense between God and man and say, thus saith the Lord. That we are to be spokesmen and women for God to speak his truth. And so Samuel is going to show us what it means to be successful in the eyes of God. But also what it means to be a spokesperson for God in a dark day. So with that in mind, let's pray together. Then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word that we don't have to come up with our own ideas as to who you are, that you have spoken and you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And God, I pray that your truth and your word would go forth in power today. We claim the promise that it will not return void. God, I pray that we would only declare what you have spoken. 
in no way add to and in no way subtract, but to declare the truthfulness of your word and allow you to do your work in the hearts of men and women. Help us to better understand what it means to stand upon your truth and proclaim it in a dark day. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll look again at verse 10. We covered it a couple weeks ago, but looking again, it says, Then the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. So here we see the Lord came and stood. There's some form of the presence of God here and called to him again. And when we look at this, oftentimes it's, re, it's good to be reminded that we're just to, to let the, the plain things be the, the main things. And so as we come to this, the main thing is that as, as God's spokesman, Samuel uh, doesn't meditate under a tree uh, and develop a word or message from God on the basis of his own intelligence and reason. No, the picture here is that God comes to Samuel. In other words, this is a divine word from God. This is bigger than Samuel. It's bigger than Eli. That we don't tell God who he is. God tells us who he is. It's frustrating me when people want to give you their thoughts on God. It, it, uh, it, it, there are a few things that irritate me more than somebody saying, well, let me tell you what I think God is like. We don't tell God what he's like. We, we don't tell God who he is. He tells us who he is. God comes to us and says, this is my word. This is who I am. And so God comes to Samuel here and speaks. And there is no doubt this is a divine word from God. And Samuel's job is just to listen. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He is just a, a listening servant. That is to be our posture. We don't come up with something to say. We simply listen to God's word by reading his word, hearing his voice, and then simply proclaiming what he has spoken. That is the posture and the position of, of Samuel here. Well, look at verse 11. The, the, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now, as I think about this, I, I think, I wonder what Samuel was hoping that God would speak to him. What message would God bring to give to Samuel? This is his first time to hear the Lord's calling in this way. What kind of message is God going to give to me? I'm sure he was hopeful. I'm sure he's anticipating but I'm fairly sure whatever he was anticipating, this was probably not the message he was hoping to hear. God says to Samuel, uh, I'm about to do something. I love the way that God says that. When God speaks about the future, he speaks of it in such a casual way. Let me tell you what I'm about to do. And see, this is the beauty of who God is. He knows the end at the beginning. It's all his story. He's in total control. And so he says to Samuel, here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to do something at which both ears of everyone who hears will tingle. 
Now, it's interesting the way he puts this. Both ears. In other words, this is a two-ear tingler. (laughs) Not a one-ear. And when he's talking about tingling their ears, not tickling their ears. Tingling their ears, meaning this is going to be a message that people will not want to hear. It's going to be a very upsetting message. I wonder if, say, can we not just start with a one-ear tingler, all right? Why don't we got to go straight to two? But right here, God is telling him, you're going to have a message. The first message is going to be a message of judgment. And then I wonder if he's thinking, well, all right, well, it's going to be a message of judgment. A judgment upon who? Maybe he's hopeful that God is going to give him a message of judgment upon the Philistines. That's where, not where God is going to start. You know, oftentimes when we go and we want to hear God's voice, when we go to him in prayer, we're asking God to change our circumstances. As I was reading this, I'm reminded that God rarely changes our circumstances. What he wants to change is us. And so God is going to speak to Samuel, a difficult message. Look at what he tells him in verses 12 through 13. He says, in that day I'll carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. You'll remember in chapter 2, God has already spoken to him through a man of God. So I, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have told him that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and, did not rebu- and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I've sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So think about this with me this morning. This is the first message to Samuel. And God's first message to Samuel is you're going to to tell Eli, who is essentially probably very much like a father figure in his life, you're going to have to tell this father figure, this mentor in your life, that I'm about to bring judgment against his family because of his sins, because of the sins of his sons that he never addressed. And he says here, it's an eternal judgment. In fact, he says forever two times. Now first, let me just address the judgment that's pronounced here because this sounds incredibly severe. At first glance, you might look at this and say, God, this is so severe. I mean, the guy just neglected to to really uh, discipline his children and maybe the way that he should have, but... But men, this sounds incredibly severe. Well, in Leviticus, there were sins that there were provision or sacrifices for certain sins of, of the priests, but only what were referred to as unwitting sins, meaning they were sins of ignorance, that they, uh, that they didn't really know what they were doing. But that's not the case with Eli and his sons. They knew exactly what they were doing. They're committing what Old Testament scripture calls sins with a high hand. That these are sins where you know exactly what God has told you to do and you completely and outright totally reject his commandment and live in active rebellion. A continual outright rebellion and rejection towards his word. And even more than this, in their sin, they have despised the sacrifices of God. Meaning they have despised and rejected God's means of atonement for sin. 
They've made a mockery of God's salvation and his promise to bring salvation by blood sacrifice. So here's what I want you to understand when when it says that there, there remains no atonement for them, it does not mean that they're not that or that there are certain sins that are outside of Christ's ability to forgive. But what it does mean is that when you reject and dis- despise God's prescribed means of atonement for salvation, there's no other means of provision. That in our day, to put it very plainly, if you reject salvation through faith in Christ, outright rejection of Christ, you despise Christ and the salvation that he has provided for us on the cross, there is no plan B. There's no other way. Now listen, I want to be clear. If you know you're a sinner today and you turn to him, there is grace and forgiveness. But if you go throughout your life in outright rejection and rebellion towards Christ, you have sealed your fate. You have rejected God's one means of salvation. You see, listen to me this morning. Jesus is not just some beautiful thing that you opt for. It's not like you say, God, I want to go to heaven, but I really don't want to go through Jesus. I think I'd like to go another way. No, the option is heaven or hell, but there's only one means, and it's Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Eli and his sons have committed a sin of the high hand. They have snubbed their nose at God and they have rejected and despised sacrifice and atonement as the means of salvation. And in so doing, they sealed their own fate in their rejection and sin. But think about this this very clearly. Samuel has been given this message of, of judgment. First word from God, right out of the gate you got to tell Eli, I'm going to eternally judge him and his family. You're going to tell him. You must tell him about my eternal judgment for him and his family. Now, now first of all, make no mistake about it, Samuel has seen the sinfulness, certainly of Hophni and Phinehas. And there's no doubt in Samuel's mind, I'm sure, that they are guilty for their sin. But it's one thing to have knowledge of their sin and their guilt... It's another thing to actually tell them about it. God says, you know it. You know where these men stand. Now you have to tell them. Now here's the question. Why would God do this to Samuel? Why would God do this? Because God has to know, if you're going to be my spokesman, if you're going to be my prophet, I have to know that I can trust you and that you will proclaim the truth of my word even when it's not easy to speak and even when it's difficult for people to hear. I mean, when you think about this, this is exactly what God did with Isaiah. Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6, he gets a picture of the glory of God and he's overwhelmed in the presence of God, says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a dead man in light of the holiness of God. And God reaches out with that coal and touches him and forgives him. And he knows a measure of God's 
grace. And then God says, who will go for me? Isn't this amazing? He's just experienced God's grace. He didn't die. And God says, anybody want to go tell this message? He says, here am I. I'd love to go tell that message. I'll be your spokesperson. And God says, great. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to tell the people my message. And guess what he tells them? They're not going to listen to you. They're going to despise the word that you're going to speak. And even worse than this, how long are you going to have to do it? Until I fulfill all my judgment on this nation. In fact, he says, until there's nobody left in the houses that you're preaching to. Boy, that's a difficult message. But God has to know, if you're going to be my spokesperson, will you tell the truth even when people don't want to listen? And we really, again, we're getting a picture of what it means to be great in God's eyes. It means, as we studied last week, that you're willing to be faithful and serve even when it's difficult and inconvenient. And even more than this, we're learning this week, it means you must speak the truth of God's word even when it's difficult to speak and even when you know it's even more difficult to hear. Well, look at verse 15. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. So he just goes about his faithful servant. He laid down until morning. Do you really think he was sleeping? I don't think so. Not a chance. And he laid down till morning. I think, he says, I'm not sure I want to face this next day. He gets up. He goes about his servant service. But it says what? I love that last portion of verse 15. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Samuel was afraid. I'm so grateful that we get to hear this. Because it's a reminder that Samuel is not some kind of bionic believer. His immediate reaction to the message and the thought of delivering this message to a man he respects is fear. But as I read this and even studied again, it's so comforting to me because I don't know about you, but still to this day, every time I go to share the gospel, every time I stand before a person and I I say to them, if you were to die today and God were to ask you, why should you enter into my kingdom, what are you going to say? And more often than not, they, get, they, they begin to give me their moral resume. And they start to tell me all the great things they've done. And in that moment, on every occasion, there's a pit in my stomach. A bit of fear. Because what I know is, no matter how great they are, in comparison to God's glory, their righteousness is like filthy rags. It's fool's gold. It won't save them. They can never measure up to God's standard of holiness. They are guilty. They are an object of wrath because they've sinned against a holy God. But that's not an easy message to declare. Especially to somebody that you love. And if you're not careful, you'll get what I like to call paralysis of the tongue. And you'll be tempted to tell them what they want to hear rather than tell them the truth. Listen to me, nobody likes delivering bad news, but they got to hear the bad news before they hear the good news. They got to know they're a sinner before they hear the good news of God's salvation through Christ. And it takes boldness. Paul said in Ephesians 6, I love this, 
He says, if you don't have anything else to pray for, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. That's Paul. Remember, this is a guy who was shipwrecked, spent a day and night at sea, whipped almost to an inch of his life, and he says, guys, if you want to pray for something, pray that I'd be bold. I think, boy, if Paul needed boldness, how much more do we to share the truth of God's word? Isn't it interesting, though, that Satan loves to make us most fearful of what he himself fears the most? Do you know what he fears the most? A Christian who's lit up with the gospel and unafraid and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ability to tell people the truth. And so here is Samuel. Will he be bold? Here's the test. Will he be bold? We'll look at verse 16. Then Eli, Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. He said, what's the word he spoke to you? I want to know. Please don't hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he has spoken to you. Eli is now challenging Samuel. Listen, if God has spoken to you, Samuel, you hold anything back. You're in as much trouble as I am. You're going to be a spokesman. you got to tell the truth. Look at verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Now, when I read these stories, I try so hard to just put myself in the position of, of Samuel or the person in the story. Because we read these stories and we know how it turns out, don't we? But Samuel doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He doesn't know how, how Eli will respond. He doesn't know the consequences of, of telling the truth and, and speaking God's truth into, into Eli's life. But that's faith. Listen to me. Faith is the ability to step out even when you're afraid, even when you don't know how it will end, even when you don't know what it will cost you, when all you have is God's word and a promise of his presence. This is faith. This is our job to speak the truth and hide nothing. Well, I'd love to tell you this was easy. This is the gospel message. It's a hard message, but it must be told. The word of God, especially the gospel scripture, tells us the gospel is offensive to those who are per perishing. But listen, the, the, the only comfort that I have, the greatest protection, because I would love to tell you, boy, every Sunday I get up here and it's just easy. I'm telling you, every Sunday morning, Saturday night, I'm sitting in that chair, trembling with fear, praying, Holy Spirit, you better speak today because I'm a chicken. The only protection I have is that I stick to this book. The protection that Samuel has is you're just going to tell him what God told him. And if Eli gets upset, guess who he's got to get upset with? God, because it's his word, not mine. The greatest protection that we have is to just tell people what the word of God says. Listen to me, I think it's why when you go to share the gospel with anybody, have the truth of God's word with you. And if they want to get mad, let them get mad at God. It's the other reason why I love expositional preaching where we preach through books of the Bible because guess what? If left to my own devices, there were, there's a lot of this book that I'd like to, wouldn't, I don't really enjoy preaching. Just being honest with you. Some of this is hard stuff. Go back and listen to the Genesis series. There were a lot of weeks I'd like to say, well, let's just skip over that chapter. 
And you know, sometimes the reason I want to skip over those chapters, because I don't want to deal with the sin in my life. But God won't let us get around his truth. And so we just hide nothing. You want to know the most difficult places for me? I was just thinking about this is in my perspective. Funerals. You go to a funeral and, and, and I have such a burden because I know I'm probably going to get a chance to preach to people that might not ever wise others step foot in a church. But they'll come to a funeral. And with the blessing of the family and not... It doesn't mean we lead with judgment and we try to be mean. But I always think in that moment at a funeral, how dare we let somebody walk out that room without the knowledge that at some point or another, unless Christ returns, they're going to be there too. And there's only one way to heaven, it's Jesus Christ. And we got to tell them, I can tell you, I've been at funerals and I've seen people get up and walk out when I start telling people there's only one means of salvation, it's Jesus Christ. But we can't back down, we... we we hide nothing. With fear and trembling, with the heart of love, we hide nothing. When uh, a few years ago, we had an opportunity to go on a mission trip uh, with uh, several of us men with our boys. And uh, Wyatt, the boys were all 13 years old, kind of a growing up men. And we took our boys to Uganda and we took them to refugee camps. And we went out the first day and we would take a translator, we would go out and the translator would kind of gather around a group of people and you would uh, you'd have a chance to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Many of these individuals never heard the gospel. And we get done with the first day and Tim Sasser with Empower One looks at me and says, Wyatt, did, did Wyatt, my 13 year old son, did he share the gospel today? And I said, no, Tim, he didn't. He said, then why'd you bring him? good point and it wasn't Wyatt's fault it was my fault I just jumped in every chance I got and so the next day I said Wyatt you're up buddy one of the first groups we come to translator calls over a group of men now most of these men they're working on homes they're refugee camps they get to build their own homes in these little refugee camps these men come over listen to me most of them had a machete in their hand, no shirts on. These are big men, strong men, young men. And we're about to tell them the truth of the gospel. And no lie, I said, Wyatt, here you go, brother. <laughs> now, I was looking for an exit route. And he told them the truth. He told them that Christ was the only means. And three of those men came to know Jesus Christ. See, the power and the boldness is not in us. It's in the message we declare. You know what I think God was teaching Wyatt and me? When it comes to the gospel, you don't back down. We don't back down. We don't hide anything. We just declare the truth and let, let God do the work. Let God be God. Look at Eli's response. It says, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to, good to him. Now, 
This is, uh, I read this statement. It's one of the reasons why I don't like text messages because in text messages, even in emails, you can't tell the inflection in somebody's voice. I would have loved to have known how Eli said this. Did he say, well, it's the Lord. He's gonna do whatever he's gonna do. Or did he say, which I, I tend to believe that he said it more this way, that it's Yahweh. And his will is what matters most. Do you know, I think, I think to some extent we see a turning, a humility in Eli here at the end. I'm not sure. But I believe, I want to believe with all my heart, Eli is saying, listen, God will either be glorified in my obedience or he'll be glorified in my disobedience and his judgment. But God will be glorified and his will will be done you've heard me say this many times you can allow God to glorify himself through your obedience or you can allow him to glorify himself through your disobedience and your judgment but God will be glorified and his will will be done look at verse 19 through 21 thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared again to Shiloh because the Lord had revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. It is a beautiful picture. You see Samuel growing and maturing. Over time, Samuel, as we're going to study, he becomes incredibly bold. He's going to grow so much. Boldness in our walk with the Lord, I believe it takes time. I have this equation that I've kept in front of me for a long time. It's the word plus obedience plus time equals maturity. There's nobody who's mature two months into the mission. It's the word of God, and not just the word of God, because a lot of people have the word of God, but they're... They're not obedient. They're not, they don't have a clue about the mission of God and getting involved. It's the word of God plus obedience plus time. And you're going to see Samuel grow. But don't we see a picture here of Christ, though? Uh, in Luke, it tells us he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We're seeing Samuel growing. And now, because the word of a God is beginning to go forth again, there's a, mess, um, a measure of blessing that will come to the land. Listen, it's a bad day, you've heard me, when the word of God is rare. You know, Proverbs tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. What it's really saying is where there is no word of God, the people perish. And so here, uh, there's a measure of blessing that's beginning to come to the nation because there's one man that's there who will speak the truth even in dark days. And that's our job today. In the darkness of the day in which we live in, we are a people who don't back down. We simply tell the truth. The truth of the matter is there's an infinite personal God who's Trinity. The Bible tells us he's the creator. He's the one that spoke everything that we see into existence. The Bible tells us that he has made man in his image and therefore, every human being has infinite and unique value to the heart of God that no other part of creation enjoys. 
And every individual is worthy of dignity and respect, man or woman, black or white, deaf or blind, disabled, the child that grows in the womb, or even the man or woman who is about to die. But this book also tells us that man is fallen. Man is a sinner. Man is not inherently good. That men and women are dead to God and there's nothing inside of themselves that can fix them. But God has made himself known in his holy, perfect, and inerrant word. His word is the standard of truth and morality. And the central figure of God's word is Jesus. And God has declared he is the only means and the only solution to the sin problem of our lives. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And we believe that anyone who will turn from their sin in repentance and believe and trust in Christ as the only means of salvation, we believe they'll be saved. And this book tells us that Christ one day will return to judge the quick and the dead, and those who have trusted in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior will be with him forever in a place called heaven. But the Bible also tells us that those who reject Jesus Christ who despise his sacrifice, who turn away from him as the only means of salvation, they will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's a tough message. But it must be proclaimed. Uh, one of the commentaries that I use, the Tyndale commentary, the commentator is Joyce Baldwin. She said that Samuel's role is altogether different than from that of a religious practitioner seeking to cajole the deity into conformity with his desires. Quite the reverse is true. Samuel stands unequivocally for the demands of the Lord upon his people. The outcome, listen to this, the outcome must either be repentance and reform or certain punishment. In other words, Samuel's learning his job is not to try to get God to conform to the immorality of his day. His job is simply to proclaim God's truth and call the people to conform to his truth. We don't change the word of God to fit our day. We call men and women to repent and conform their life to the word of God. There's a great evangelist Billy Sunday, one guy came up to him one time and said, preacher, you're rubbing the fur the wrong way. He said, then turn the cat around. <laughs> In other words, we don't change the message. We call you to change. Listen to me today. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, just like all of us, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't care how good you think you are. You are a sinner. You are broken. And the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. What you and I deserve is certain judgment in hell forever. And if God left it that way, it would be him being just. 
But God, the greatest act of love ever known to man, sent his one and only son to die in your place to provide you with a means of salvation, not a way to God, but the way to God. But the good news is if you will turn to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. Your sins will be forgiven. The spirit placed inside your heart, you'll be set on a new path, a path that leads to to eternal life with him forever in heaven. But if you reject, listen to me, if you reject and despise, there's hell to pay. Our encouragement to you today is trust and obey. I say at the end of every one of my messages at a call, the invitation, you'll never regret obeying Jesus. I say that because there was a man at our church in Valley, Alabama, who gave his life to Christ. And he began to walk with the Lord. It wasn't always easy. We had a lot of meetings, discipleship. We would talk and pray. And I remember I said, you know what? It's not been easy, has it? He said this, though. He said, let me tell you something. I've never once regretted obeying Jesus. I'll tell you today, if you're wondering, what should I do? I can urge you to trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. As we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. But we can never prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows is for all who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we'll sit at his feet or we'll walk by the side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have revealed yourself to us. We would have had no way of knowing you had you not spoken. But you have spoken. You've revealed yourself to us. You've told us who you are. You are creator. You are holy. You are infinite. You are eternal. You have told us who we are. Made in your image. Of infinite value to your heart. You have told us why we are broken. Because of sin. You have shown us the solution, which is Jesus Christ. I pray if you're working in the heart of someone today, revealing their sin, revealing your salvation, I pray that they would trust in you. Pray that they would turn from their sin and repentance and they would believe in Jesus, knowing your word says they will be saved. Lord, for those of us who know you, let us stand in the gap with the people we know and love. God, I pray we would hide nothing, but we would be faithful spokesmen and women 
to simply declare your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.